Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Uh, here we go. Last week, we kind of came to a pivotal moment in this series. We hit the crescendo, Jude's crescendo in this epistle. And what does Jude do? He goes to a very mysterious, very intense, and apocalyptic book, the book of Enoch. And he draws one specific passage out of there. It is the last verse in chapter 1, verse 9, which says the following, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly. And so here we see Jude, he really takes the people to a place, to a place of sheer terror to a place of warning, to a place where they need to be cognizant of the reality of what is coming. See, because talk like this pulls people out of the fire. Talk like this moves people to repentance. Talk like this actually gives us the strength. When you're in that moment of temptation and the draw is so intense, I mean, it's, it's surreal, it's demonic, it's central. When the draw is so intense... Passages like this will tell you it's not worth it. And that the bitterness you struggle with in regard to forgiving your neighbor, that you just can't seem to overcome, passages like this are breakthrough moments. Because you'd be like, no, I'm looking at the end now. I'm not looking at how I feel right now or whether or not I think I'm justified in my feelings. I'm looking at the future and what is the Son of God going to say to me on that day? Whole different perspective. Puts your world in a completely different perspective to help you walk in righteousness. And may I say walk in power. Not powerless. You walk powerless means you have no power over sin. You have no power over your flesh. You have no power over the things that the devil is tempting you with. We need that power. Jude wants you to have it because you know what he wants? He doesn't want you to end up like all these men. That he's brought to the table. He doesn't want you to end up like Korah. He doesn't want you to end up like Balaam. These are men who knew God. They experienced him. Experienced relationship. Experienced his power. And yet somehow they fell away. This was not in mind. Jude knows this. So he grabs this. And he brings this to the table. I want to open up today. By kind of giving you a broader perspective of where. Enoch is coming from, where Jude is coming from. And it's going to be a little bit of reiteration today. But I want to take you to the first chapter of Enoch, and I want to go through most of that with you. There's some things there that I want to highlight, but there's one specific thing I'm after. And we'll get to it at the very end of the chapter. But Enoch 1.1 says this, The words of the blessing of Hanoch, or Enoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous. Think about that. The words of the blessing of Enoch. In other words, what he's saying is, is, hey, this book, what is filled with, all the words in it, are a blessing to you. Now, if any of you have ever read this, it kind of makes you go, okay. It's one of the most intense reads you will have. It's weighty. This is heavy. This is like the book of Revelation. And guess what it's filled with? The wrath of God. But he says, the words of the blessing of Enoch. How do we even get there with that kind of statement? Now, I'm going to tell you the book of Enoch, crystal clear 
on the mercy and faithfulness and grace of God. But it is so filled with the wrath of God. How can we say, oh, that, that's a blessing? And here's what I want you to understand. And here's what, here's what the church is failing to understand today. Is that when we hear warnings that the wrath of God is coming against all ungodliness, against the disobedience. The Apostle Paul navigates this quite well in his epistles. When that's coming, do you understand those warnings are a blessing? So we don't want to hear the warnings today. We don't want to talk about sin, and we don't want to talk about judgment because it makes people feel uncomfortable. We want them to feel good. You come to church so that you make me feel better. I, I kid you not. And, and there are pastors, just so you know, there are pastors who have come out and confessed. You know, my flock, if I say certain things, they get uncomfortable, and I'll hear about it. So I, I can't go too overboard. That's insane. That's insane, because people are going to hell. And believe me, you, you're worried about being uncomfortable? Wait till you get to that day. Wait till you get to that day, and you're in Matthew 7 going, Lord, let me in. And he tells you, I don't know. Better to deal with a little bit of discomfort. You know why people don't want to be uncomfortable? They don't want to change. Because they're not willing to give up their love of the world. They've dedicated, as you know, one of the things I talked about last week, there's a percentage of the world still in their heart. They're not willing to give up. And it may be 20%, and it may be one-tenth of a percent, but I'm going to tell you that it will keep you out of the kingdom of God. Because he's asking for all your heart, not some. You give them all, or it's nothing. And that's, what, that, that's, every, that's the testimony of Scripture, all or nothing. Every bit you commit to him. Unless you forsake all that you have, you can't be his disciple. It'll never happen. And so Enoch, he opens up the words of the blessing of Hanoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous. Now he's going to continue because these words are for specific people. Specifically those who will be living in the day of tribulation when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. And again, I reiterate, as I mentioned early on in this series, isn't it interesting that this book has made a resurgence like never before in history? No longer is it, it's not a book that's talked about amongst scholars behind closed doors. This is a book now being read by Christians all over the world. You need to take note of that, especially in light of these words. Because this book, though a blessing to any generation that would come across it, though a blessing to the scholars, though a blessing to Jude, it was to speak loudest to one generation. It was to weigh heaviest upon one generation, the generation we're entering into right now as we get into tribulation. So that kind of makes this relevant, especially going through the book of Jude, and Jude's quoting him, and all of this is just coming together all at the right time, the Lord's timing. Continues and says, he took up his parable and said, Enoch, a righteous man whose eyes were opened by God. Sound familiar? Read the exact same thing with Balaam. A man who falls down with his eyes wide open. Same thing is said here in Enoch because it's prophecy. It's prophesying. Saw the vision of the Holy One in the heavens which the angels showed me, and from them I heard everything, and from them I understood as I saw, but not for this generation, but for a remote one to come. I mean, in these things, in other words, there are things in the book of Enoch that we as believers are going to have to hang on. 
Now, I can tell you, I've, I've been reading this book for decades. And virtually everything, virtually, virtually everything that's in there, and theologically, absolute, everything's found in Scripture. It's just kind of condensed in such a way that eschatologically speaking, it's just meant, it's, it's pure focus on the end. Very much so like the book of Revelation. And so this is the time, and this is, this is just so you understand the elements of Enoch a little bit. Verse 5. And all shall be smitten with fear. And the watchers, meaning the angels, this is what the angels are called. These are fallen angels. They're called the watchers in, in um, the book of Enoch. The, the, the angels are going to quake. And great fear and trembling shall seize them until the ends of the earth. Why has fear come upon the inhabitants of the world, even those that are greater in power and might than all human beings? The angels. Why? Because of the coming of the Lord. And what does that mean? The coming of the Lord, he implements, he's coming to implement judgment. And they are terrified beyond all reason. Now, to help you put this into perspective, what we talked a little bit about last week is, man, we're entering into the days of tribulation, and things are about to get real, real insane, real painful. There's going to be real persecution. It's going to get crazy. People are going to be trembling. People are going to see things they've never seen before, and they're going to pray they wish they could unsee them. That's what's coming. Now, you want perspective? Take that. And that doesn't even compare to the revelation of Yeshua and what he's going to do at judgment. It doesn't even compare. And what's going to happen is this earth is going to experience more fear and more terror in the tribulation than at any point in history. And that will not compare. That will pale in comparison to when Yeshua is revealed. That's the kind of terror and the sheer horror that we're talking about. And he goes on, he says this in verse 6. And the high mountains shall be shaken... And the high hills shall be made low. This is what Isaiah 40, this is what Psalm 46 talks about. And shall melt like wax before the flame. And the earth shall be wholly rent in sunder, and all that is upon the earth shall perish, and there shall be a judgment upon all men. In other words, take a good look. As you're driving home, take a good look at everything you got in your house. Take a good look at what you got in your bank account. Take a good look at what you stored up. Take a good look of what you've given your life to building your little kingdom here on this earth. It's all going to vanish. God himself is going to destroy all of it. See, when you understand that, now it makes you, why don't we be wise servants and why don't we start investing in the kingdom of God? Things that will not be destroyed by our master. He's going to destroy it all. And the only things that will survive is the work of the kingdom. All these things that scripture is telling us to do, such as loving the Lord our God and our neighbor as ourself. I'm jumping to the last verse. We get to the the point here. And behold, he cometh with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to destroy all the ungodly and to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness. Now I want to stop. If you think your works do not matter, as is Many are attempting to propagate today. doesn't matter what your works do. And you love the, the, the famous saying, you know, you're not saved by your works, so you don't worry about it. Now, granted, we are justified by the blood of Yeshua. 
But if you think for one second you're going to attempt to walk in that justification of his blood and walk in sin, you're going to find out otherwise. You're going to find out just how salvational your works are. Your obedience, your commitment to Yeshua is. It's coming. So of all their works of their ungodliness, which they have ungodly committed, and of all the hard things, and here we go, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I want to ask a question here. Why this passage? Everything you see on the screen, Enoch 1.9, Jude quotes in his epistle verbatim, the whole thing, everything we see. And my question is this, why? Why this passage? Go to the book of Enoch. There's no shortage of passages that talk about the judgment that is coming. I mean, there's plenty of terrifying passages to scare us straight. Why this one? You know, there's plenty in the, even in the Bible. There's a reason. Jude is after something here. He is lining this up with perfection. It shows you, I mean, this guy's not operating on a fleshly level. Holy Spirit inspired. There's so much depth to him and the way he has laid out this entire epistle. The more you dig into it, the, the more it hurts my head. The guy is operating on a different level. He's brilliant. He grabs this specific passage because of what I've highlighted right here. Which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. This is key because what is the next thing that Jude says right after this? He says this. These are grumblers and complainers. Grumblers and complainers are ones that speak against God. I want to be very clear. Most of you have been with me. You know. If you're new here today, or if you're just trying to catch up in this series, listen to me carefully. Jude is making this statement explicitly in the context, not of atheists and people that reject the Lord, because you would think, you know, obviously atheists, they blaspheme God and say there is no God. We're not talking about the world. Jude is in the camp of the saints. He's within the church. He's talking about believers. See, this passage right here, these are grumblers. He's going back to verse 5. He's drawing back from verse 5. You remember those events that Jude brings to the table? The first event he brings is Israel in the wilderness. And what do you read as you, as you comb through the Torah? And you read the book of Exodus, you read Numbers, you read Deuteronomy. What you see over and over and over again is what? Israel grumbling and complaining. This is what they do. This is going to be the basis of our message today because of what Jude wants us to understand and because of where we're going with the days that are ahead of us. You need to have this locked down. We need to be mindful of this. Now Jude's going to go on to describe these grumblers and complainers. And he says this, they walk according to their own lusts. In other words, you understand that you know, the scripture talks about, like in Deuteronomy 12, Moses comes to Israel and he says, you guys got to stop walking according to the dictates of your own heart. You know, there, there was a Proverbs 14, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, right? Or that's Proverbs 16, every way of a man is right as well, but the Lord weighs the spirit. And then Proverbs 14 would be, there's, uh, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. It seems right. Do you understand that these believers that are in the confines of church, the sanctuary, the house of God, and the fellowship of believers, 
They are being governed not by the counsel of God. They're being governed by the counsel of their fleshly hearts. In other words, they're very emotionally driven. When emotions well up inside them, that's what they listen to. That becomes their truth. And truly, as Jeremiah prophesies, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked who can know it. But that's what these men do. This is who they are. This is Korah. He's a perfect example, walking according to his own heart. And then he goes on and says this, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. In other words, these people, they're masters with the tongue. They're able to allure and seduce others to their way of thinking. And they're very proficient at it. And I'm talking in a church setting. Again, going back to Korah. Look at what Korah did. Here you have someone in the ministry of the sanctuary. I mean, this guy is brought close to the Lord. And what does he do? He goes out and somehow he compels 250 of the top princes in Israel, men of renown, to come with him, that his way of thinking is proper, that his way of thinking is right, and to go against Moses and Aaron. That's called influence. That's a seductive influence. And this is exactly what Jude is describing. It's these kinds of men. Well, I want to build on this whole notion. And I want to give you some real scriptural examples to help unpack this and help you understand this. And I want to take you to Malachi. This is where we're going to begin. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. They're speaking against the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? This terrifies me. It terrifies me in light of Matthew 7. Because again, you got all these Christians standing before the Lord expecting to get into the kingdom of God. They have no clue they're not getting in. They're baffled. And here you have this situation of men. These are his children. These are people in covenant with God. This is Israel. They're in covenant with God. And God comes... You've spoken harshly against me. And they're dumbfounded. They don't know what he's talking about. This is scary. The context here is scary. Then it goes on. You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Do you see what God, the way he defines, this is what it looks like to speak evil against me. In your mind, in your heart, and the things that proceed from the mouth come from the heart. You know what you said? You said it's pointless. See, because these men are, they're, they're trying to walk on the narrow path. And that narrow path is difficult. And they're trudging and they're trudging and they're going, you know what? I, 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 you know, according to the, to the Torah, I, I should be getting blessed right now. My obedience and my diligence to the Lord. Where's the blessing? I don't see it. I'm not a recipient of it. In fact, I go out as a mourner. And then it goes on, and this is what they say. So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. So here you have somebody that's in relationship with God. They're attempting to walk in his ways. But all you, what happens? Where are their eyes right now? Are they on the king? No. They're horizontal. They start looking at everyone else. And they're noticing the wicked flourishing and they're struggling over here, and they're mourning. 
And the world's happy. They're laughing. They're prospering. How does that even make sense? And the people get into the mindset. They fall into this trap of going, well, this is pointless. I'm living as a living sacrifice. Why? Interesting. Let me build on this. I want to take you to Exodus 14. And the context here, and it's important, Israel has been driven out of Egypt. They've been driven out by them because, you know, Pharaoh doesn't want them anymore because of the mighty hand of God. So ultimately, God is taking them out of Egypt. And Pharaoh's like, you get out of here. And it's interesting, you know, you know all the plagues fell. Egyptians and Israel saw the power of God. Israel knew the power of the blood of the lamb. Because when that lamb's blood was shed on the doorpost and on the lintels, guess what happened? They were spared the wrath of God. They personally experienced God on a whole new level. And the power of that blood. And that power of the blood released them from bondage. And Pharaoh drove them out. Well, here's the deal. So Israel goes out, and not just that, let's add a little more context. Guess what they did to the Egyptians? On their way out, they plundered them. They asked for the articles of silver and gold, and God gave them favor. They're walking out without even lifting a sword, plundering the Egyptians, going out. They, they went in destitute by famine. They went out rich. But now they've come to the Red Sea. And now, they're, and now their backs are to the sea and they're looking back and what, what happened? Well, the Egyptians changed their mind. Now they're coming down. They're bearing down for war. They want their slaves back. And Israel's looking at this hopeless situation. There is nowhere to go. And guess what? They're not, they're not armed for war. They're not warriors. They're just coming out from being slaves. They're not ready for this. This is the situation. How do they respond? Verse 11. Then they said to Moshe, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Moshe, are you kidding me? You deceived us. Are you serious? You're a deceiver. The only thing that you've accomplished, you've brought us out here so they could slaughter us and to kill us. You see how quickly this happened? This is, this is after the fact they experienced, they saw the power of God unleashed on the Egyptians, even though Israel was protected. They saw the power of the blood. They're coming out with the wealth of Egypt. After all of that, immediately when trial and tribulation hits, they fold. They fold. They don't do what Yeshua said to do. See that you're not troubled. This is what, this is what Yeshua, he is, he's commanding us, don't you dare fall into that trap. Don't be in trouble with the things that are really starting to unfold right now. Don't go there. Don't go to the place where Israel went. And they go on and they say this, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Oh, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Looking at what I'm seeing happening in the world right now, again, this scares me. This right here. They come into total trial and tribulation. Fear and doubt has crept in. And it's pushed out faith. It's pushed out reliance and trusting in God to the point... Their rationale, 
They want to go serve Pharaoh again. And Pharaoh is a typology of the Antichrist. He's a picture of the Antichrist. That spirit that brings you into bondage, that brings you into slavery. And now Israel would rather than suffer tribulation, rather than trusting in God, it's easier just to go serve the Antichrist. And I kid you not, these days are upon us. And we're about to see the church get waxed. We're about to see the church go through a time of trial and testing that if they don't get solid in their relationship with Jesus, with Yeshua right now, where there is praying, there is fasting, there's devotion to the word of God. If if that stuff is not happening, you're not going to make it. You're not strong in the Lord. You've got to be seeking him. You will actively seek him. If you're telling me you're strong in the Lord, you will be actively seeking him first above all else. Everything else will be secondary. Look at how Moses responds. And Moshe said to the people, oh, do not be afraid. Isn't that interesting? That's exactly what the prophet like unto Moses just got done telling us in Matthew 24. Yeshua said, see that you are not troubled. This is Moses' advice. Hey, don't be afraid. And then he says this, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now this goes to Psalm 46, verse 10. And you know what that says? It says, be still and know that I'm God. What does that mean? Does that mean when you go down and kneel down and pray, you don't move? And that's how you exhibit being still? I'm just going to be still? No. Being still and knowing that he is God is not being moved in faith. You don't let anxiety, fear, and doubt creep in so that you make really dumb decisions because of fear. Because you're worried about what's going to happen to your own life. You love your life to the death. We're called not to love our lives to the death. That's what be still. Trust in the Lord. No matter what's going on around you, you hold the line. You do not compromise. There can be no compromise. I want to give you, I want to jump to the book of Numbers. I want to build on this even further. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor, and this is where Aaron died, by the way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Discouragement, you know, some of you know, I've taught on this before. Discouragement is one of the most powerful weapons the devil has against us. I know he's taken me to task several times because of discouragement. This is, this is one of the things I have struggled with, and even in ministry. Why is Israel dis- discouraged? And let me ask this, why are you discouraged? Think about this. You've got to sit back, and you've got to start pondering. When you feel defeated, when you feel discouraged, why are you being discouraged? And I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you why Israel's discouraged. Israel's discouraged because in their mind... They had envisioned something totally different. Something in their mind, in their heart, they had pictured something totally different where they're going to be walking into the milk and honey right now and that's what we're going to do and we're going to eat bread to the full and we're not going to do anything. We're just going to inherit those things. Yes, that time would come eventually. But when it didn't come, but instead they were met with tribulation because their expectations were not met 
their flesh gets brutally discouraged. I'm going to tell you, when your expectations of what you think should go down are not met, you get discouraged. I mean, we could talk about, and, and we could even do this tongue-in-cheek of, you know, there are you know, wives out there, and, and here comes their birthday. Pretty high expectations from the husband, right? Well, when that big day, you know, in her mind, he, oh, he's going to take me out to my favorite restaurant. We're going to take a walk in the lake. He's going to take me out in the boat, maybe. He's going to do all these wonderful things. That day comes around. Instead of getting a birthday card, she gets a Mother's Day card. Didn't even recognize. And a $10 caribou card inside. Now, think about, I mean, the, 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 the lady had some serious high expectation. How was she going to feel? Uh, devastated. I know that would not go over well with my wife. I, what are your expectations? Do you understand? This is the beauty of understanding Yeshua's words in Matthew 24, where he starts out and says, don't you dare fall in. Don't you dare give up. Don't you bend. Don't you break. See that you're not troubled. Hell is coming. Your expectation, I don't know what you've contrived in your mind about your future, but I'm telling you on the earth right now, hell is going to be unleashed. I want to make sure your, ex, your expectations are in line with the Lord. Because if they're not there, you're in trouble. The, the enemy will chew you up and spit you out through discouragement. And so they're discouraged. And what happens when we're discouraged? And this people spoke against God and against Moses. And remember, we just read this in Enoch 1.9, which Jude quotes, that the ungodly sinners who speak against him, they're coming under judgment. They're going to be destroyed. And interestingly enough, if you just keep reading further past on than what we'll get to today, guess what God does to these people? Takes them out. He destroys them. Exactly what Enoch 1.9 says. You want to speak against God. You want to carry the mindset like we see. If you go to Exodus 17, you know, Israel comes into the wilderness. And there's no water. And you know what? They say this. Is God among us or not? You've got to be, where is God in this? I'm suffering. I'm in a hopeless situation, but I don't see God. He is furious. I mean, read Psalm 78. He gets furious when you think like that. It infuriates him because you do not trust in him. He's not your number one. He's not your focus. He gets angry, wiped his own people out in covenant with him. They've already come into covenant. They've heard his voice. The blood of the lamb was shed. But this is where they're at. And he goes on in verse 21, verse 5. We read this. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food. There's no water. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. I find this interesting in, in, in light of prophecy, in light of going into the tribulation, such as we are. The fact that their heart did not value the manna. Literally, and you read this in the Hebrew, it's worthless. Well, Yeshua comes on the scene in John 6 and says, I am the bread from heaven. I wonder how many of us are going to get into these trials and tribulations and are going to see Yeshua, the bread of life, as totally worthless as you complain, as you grumble, because your little expectations are not met. That you get to live out your American dream and all, all your, your little fantasy that you've created of how you think your future is going to go. When we do not know what is going to happen tomorrow, only God knows. 
You know, I'm going to tell you, we need to understand every time we give our heart over to trouble, every time we give into fear, every time you give into doubt, hell is going to be unleashed on you. And it's, and it's not even a worldly thing, it's a spiritual thing from God. You want to separate yourself from God, you want to bring him to anger, that will do it every time. I want to take you to the book of Jeremiah. We'll just continue down this path. I'm going to take you to chapter uh, 44. The context of what I'm about to show you is just kind of interesting. Jeremiah is being sent with the word of the Lord to go speak to the Jewish people. But here's the thing. It's not the Jewish people in Judea. It's the Jewish people had fled for their lives to spare their lives. So they fled to Egypt. They went to Egypt. So the problem is, is they're sinning. And so God loving his people is now going to go to them through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is going to bring a word to them. And the word is, you better repent. You guys, did you not see what happened to your brethren in Judea? Did you not see what God did? You better take a lesson out of that book and you better apply it to your life right now because God's coming. How do they respond? Verse 16, check this out. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. You can come at us, Jeremiah. You can say, thus says the Lord all day long. We're not going. Why? Well, we continue. But we will certainly do whatever has gone out of our own mouth. Again, going back to that, what I was talking about, that characteristic Jude's brought to the table. They follow the lust of their own heart, their own flesh, the dictates of their own heart. It's right here. We're going to do what's out of our mouth. And what are we going to do? We're going to burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we have done. We and our fathers, our kings, our princes in the cities of Yehuda and in the streets of Yerushalayim. So get this. God, God wants them to stop serving the queen of heaven. Is that such a, a, such a tall order? No, only serve me. I want to be worshipped. I want to be your God. Stop doing this. And they're like, we won't stop doing it. You have to ask the question, why? Why would you not stop doing this? Prophet has come to you. He's your own flesh and bone. You could trust him. They don't. He comes to him with the word of the Lord saying, abandon this insanity. This is where it gets amazing. Listen to the reasoning here. For then we had plenty of food and were well off and saw no trouble. Unbelievable. Do you understand? See, the God they're going to choose to serve is whoever is going to fulfill whatever they desire in their heart, whatever fleshly thing they want. And if you know what? If you meet my expectation, O queen of heaven, we will serve you. See, but when, I, when we're serving Yahweh, all we got was hell. All we, all we experienced is we were in need. We were in dramatic need. We were being persecuted. Things went awfully wrong. This is why we're not, we're not sorry, Jeremiah, we're not going to do this. And they go on further to explain their position. But since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have been consumed by the sword and by famine. Do you, do you understand how they're making their decisions? When they come up against trial and tribulation, I mean, these are people that were, that were sown among stony ground, if you will. 
Where Yeshua says, as soon as persecution and tribulation comes, they fold. They have no root in themselves. And they're folding here. They're doing the unthinkable. They're abandoning the relationship with the Lord. They're compromising for the sake of ease. For the sake of what they expect, their expectations to be fulfilled. That is really something. I mean, this is heavy, heavy stuff. And, and you know, I think about what we're reading here. And again, I wonder, how are we going to fare in the coming days? How is this going to look for us as trials and tribulations come in and the world in the spirit of Antichrist is demanding compromise for you? And you know what? As long as you compromise, we'll let you go back to work. As long as you compromise, we'll let you go to the gym. Oh, as long as you compromise, we're going to let you go to the grocery store and you're going to get to have food. You're going to get to do all of these things. I want to take you to the Apocrypha. Basically to a book, it's probably my favorite book in the Apocrypha, which is 1 Maccabees. And this book, the whole setup here, is it begins by talking about the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 8. Daniel prophesies that the Antichrist would rise to power. Man, if you want any template to understand what will it look like in society when the Antichrist comes to town, you go read this book. And it records the fulfillment of that prophecy in Daniel. And what Daniel talks about, just as a quick overview, Daniel, he uses this crazy metaphor, just like Revelation does, of these beasts. And there's this ram that has two horns. And all of a sudden, this goat comes across from the earth and literally smashes the ram. And this goat has one notable horn. One very notable horn, who we know later, because we know it's the kingdom of Greece, it's Alexander the Great. That's exactly what is mentioned in the book of Maccabees, as you open up, it talks about Alexander the Great and how he died. And it goes on to talk about, in Daniel's prophecy, four horns would rise in place of that one broken horn. That's exactly what happened. Alexander the Great died. His four generals took to power. And we're told in the prophecy, out of one of them will rise a little horn. And this is the one that is going to cast truth to the ground. This is the one that's going to come and defile the temple. This is one that's going to bring some serious hell to society. Well, I want to take you to, we're going to pick this up in verse 10. And this is what we read. From them came a sin, forth a sinful root, them being in the four horns. Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes mean God manifest. This is what he thinks of himself. He thinks himself to be God. So, son of King Antiochus III, he had been... A hostage in Rome, he began to reign in the 137th year of the kingdom of the Greeks, which is 175 BC. Now, here's what I want you to appreciate. When the Antichrist rises, when his spirit goes forth, the spirit of lawlessness because to cover of the land, there are certain things that you can expect to see happen. There's certain things you're going to experience in society. Well, one of those things is what we learned about last week. False prophets are going to be unleashed. They're going to start covering the land. And isn't it interesting? The book of Maccabees, recording the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, begins by saying, here's the introduction of the Antichrist. And the next thing we read is this. Check this out. In those days, certain renegades came out from Israel and misled many. See, this is Jude's whole point. This was the Apostle Paul's point. 
When you, when you read Acts 20, he says, certain men, he's talking about the church, certain men will rise up from among you, and what will they do? They will speak perverse things, and they will lead believers away. They're going to pollute the church. This is what you would expect to happen. But this happens in mass. It starts going all over. It starts to affect the churches as a whole. And so this is what you see happening. These men from Israel, their own brothers, are going out and they're misleading many. Well, what are they telling him to do? Look at this. Let us go and make a covenant with the Gentiles around us. Let us become like the world. You notice anything interesting in the last couple of years that the churches are doing? They're becoming more like the world than the world becoming like the churches. It's, it's really something. It's, it's actually almost mesmerizing as we, as we see this unfold. But then they say this, so that you understand what, what all this is about. They say this, For since we separated from them, many disasters have come upon us. Oh, isn't that interesting? See, when things get hard... Because we were, we were trekking, we were walking with the Lord, but what good is that? All we are is mourners. So let's change direction. And if we join, we start worshiping the queen of heaven. In this case, we're going we're gonna to get on board with the Antiochus Epiphanes. We're going to get on board with the Antichrist. And we're going to join with his society and how he's running things. Yeah, that is going to work so much better. Then we'll have ease in this life. We'll have ease. Well... How did the people respond to this idea? The proposal pleased them. And some of the people eagerly went to the king who authorized them to observe the ordinances of the Gentiles. So they built a gymnasium in Yerushalayim according to Gentile custom. They're implementing the ways of the Gentiles now. And removed the marks of circumcision. And what did they do? They abandoned the holy covenant. They joined with the Gentiles and sold themselves to do evil. You understand? We're going to abandon the covenant. We're going to abandon the commandments of God. We're not going to cling to them because that is causing friction between us and the rest of society. So you know what? We'll compromise. We'll compromise a little bit so that we can all get together. It's so much better when there's peace. It's so much better when we have more provisions and life goes on easier for us. And you know what? We can hold our jobs and we can freely go to the grocery store. We can do all these things. Where are you when Revelation 13 unfolds? Where is your heart? And I'm specifically talking about 16 and 17. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. What happens? Where are you at? Are you prepared right now? You going to work? Tomorrow, and they ask you and say, I'm sorry, you got two pass. You either can do what we say, which is going to require you to compromise your spiritual ethics, your morals, scripturally. How are you going to respond to that? Or you lose your job. Are you going to walk away from that? Are you able to do that right now in your heart? Settle it. You know, isn't it interesting this is an interesting side note of what we see actually unfolding right now. Where now we have mandates going out that, oh, if you don't get the vaccine, guess what? You're a federal worker. You're mandated to do it. There are private companies saying, if you don't get the vaccine, you're out of here. There are hospitals saying, if you don't get the vaccine, 
You're out of here. Nobody's ever, and this is happening, you got countries, you got the Philippines coming out, mandating every citizen to be vaccinated. You have Indonesia, every citizen is being required to be vaccinated by law under penalty, prison and a fine. Think about what is going on. This is on a global scale. This is nuts. This stuff is so crazy. And I'm just talking about, let's just use this as an example. Let's just say this is a nefarious scheme. Let's just say the spirit of Antichrist is behind it. Are you able to hold the line? Because you got a really good example to test yourself with in these days, right now. Are you able to hold the line? Or are you interested in polluting the temple? Are you interested in compromising? I'm going to tell you, you either get strong right now, or you're going to be taken out. We have got to get strong today. This is where we need to be. I'm going to close with this verse. Luke 13, uh, 23. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Oh, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. This is one of those passages that you just, it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. Because you have in the context, Yeshua is saying they are seeking to get into the kingdom of God. They are confessing my name. They want to spend a lifetime with me. But they're not going to be able to. They'll call him Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is as real as it gets. Why we have been brought to this generation, I don't know. Only God knows. But we were born for such a time as this. We know this. You may, like, you may think in your heart, Daniel, I didn't sign up for this. I should have lived and died in the 50s. <laughs> Things were much better then. I didn't sign up. I don't want to go through this. I mean, please raise your hand. Who wants to go through hellish tribulation? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody wants to experience that pain. But if our focus is Yeshua and our focus is on his reward and we are trusting him and we're learning from Scripture like today of knowing, it's preparing you. The Holy Spirit is preparing you by his word. Don't fall into those traps. When this happens, be still and know that he is God. Amen?